Welcome into another episode of Running for the Roses. By Lucas Rody. Lucas, it's been about a month. Um, I don't believe if you were fully moved in the last time we did the pod. I know we had some discussion about grass and yes. lawns. So yes. fill us in. So, what is the how? What's the homeowner update here? So a couple updates on that actually. So last weekend, about a week from tomorrow, we actually got sod put in our backyard. So that's all good. We got some French drains in, which is drainage that goes underground. Um, got that in. So it's looking good. I'm becoming a full dad, dad mode where or right. 40 year old male. I'm outside watching the water spray the grass, making sure that every area is being properly uh, irrigated. Um, but no, we have grass in there. So we, I was moved in on the last pod, but I was in a different room. Um, so I was in our guest room next door, which is my uh, girlfriend's office. I'm now in our guest room, which is, this is my office. Um, I guess half office, if you want to make it that. But um, no, yeah, everything's going good. It's actually my first weekend here alone. My my girlfriend's out of town for uh, for a family thing. So uh, just enjoying, you know, the joys of, uh, of home ownership, as I know you, you can attest to as well. Well, I don't have the lawn stuff, admittedly. Yeah. I do have like the first, I think, couple months I moved into my condo, my washer and dryer broke. So I had to go get a stack unit. And, you know, my there was a month or two during the summer when I didn't have hot water. Um, my hot water <laughs> was like malfunctioning. So like, I, w- I wouldn't say a month. It was probably like, yeah, 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 I had to get someone out here. And then the first guy messed it up. So it is different when it's it's your place and your, yes, um, your money who is taking ownership. And you can't just call someone and say, hey, my you know, my sink's not working or something. So it's, it's interesting, but the lawn thing, I'm just so jealous. I can't be there to watch you wake up every morning with a nice cup of coffee or a nice cup of tea, reading the Nashville times or whatever the newspaper is, you know, (laughs) watching the irrigation with the dogs. It just seems like such a lovely, lovely life. And I know there's, you know, some behind the scenes that maybe isn't so great sometimes, but that's awesome. All right. So, we are uh, going to jump into some topics today. Uh, coming up at the end of the show, we're going to do a fun little draft. Lucas and I have been doing some drafts here in the offseason. We're going to draft teams to make the their first college football playoff appearance. So teams that have not made the college football that are most likely to make their first. We're going to draft those here in a little bit. But first, I think, Lucas, we have to talk about the shifting landscape of college football and it seems like over the last 18 months or so, almost everything that you and I know about college football and the way talent is uh, spread across the country, the way talent is is going from team to team has changed. Um, the transfer portal, the, you know, we no longer have to wait one year if we transfer before we graduate. And then NIL, which I think is the hot button issue now. And there are a lot of rumblings, even recently, of very high profile players and very public um, negotiations, if we can call them that, of players wanting to be fairly compensated and other players getting compensated. And so now we want to be compensated. And it's 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 very interesting. It's It's one of the big things that is changing the sport that you and I both love so much. So I think tonight we're just going to discuss it and kind of break it down. Just our kind of general thoughts on NIL, maybe how it can be improved. What are some issues with it? Um, so Lucas, I'll, I'll kind of open the floor to you just kind of generally your, your kind of thoughts on where you want to take this conversation. Yeah. And I think one of the things I just wanted to note is with, with the whole NIL discussion is I do think the majority of, of players that are taking advantage of it, you know, we're only hearing the biggest stories that are happening, maybe, and which is probably what the top 10% of maybe players that we hear about getting these major deals that are, you know, openly talking to other programs to maybe boosters of those programs. Whereas most of, I think NIL has been a, a great success where you have, you know, offensive linemen getting barbecue endorsements and making nice money that they can, uh, they can have Oklahoma, for example, giving, I believe they said they're going to give out $50,000 um, through their collective to each player that's on the team, regardless of position or 
or starter as long as you're a scholarship player. So I think all this is good, but you know, I, I feel like every time, every day we have a new article, we have a new story that is coming out about players, you know, taking advantage for a market that they, they've never had. And I think that's why we are seeing this large over uh, abundance of, uh, of money because both, you know, even though we've known stuff like this is probably gone in secret uh, before NIL was legal, but, you know, just seeing it play out in fashion where we have people openly threatening to leave schools if they don't get enough money. Players already talking before they even enter the transfer portal, which was a worry by a lot of coaches that you were just going to have tampering uh, that was going to be very rampant. Um, but it's completely changed the sport in just one year where I thought NIL would be one, uh, one part of the recruiting pitch uh, moving forward. Now it just seems like that's the only recruiting pitch. Uh, who can offer more? And that's where you're going to go. Yeah. So for those listening that might not kind of fully grasp, basically last year, the NCAA passed a rule that allowed college athletes to make money off of their name, image, and likeness, NIL. Basically, the Olympic model, where we're not going to pay kids to play our sports, but they can sign endorsement deals, they can sign sponsorships, whatever that means. So when this was envisioned, I think a lot of people said, like what Lucas said, you're going to have local restaurants that sponsor athletes, and you're, you'll have, you know, like I thought you would see a lot of social media posts, right? Social mm -hmm. media endorsements from anywhere from softball players to volleyball players to basketball players, whatever. And you've seen some of that for sure. Mm -hmm. I kind of also thought some things would happen that hadn't. Like I thought Nike and these big apparel companies would yeah. like really want to jump in and sponsor quarterbacks. And you really haven't seen that much, which I think is, has been kind of interesting. Um, but what happened towards the end of last year, like January 2022, December, November 2021, was you started to see these collectives, is what they're called, spring up. Because the NCAA prohibits schools from paying players to come to their school, right? You cannot say, hey, here's $25,000 to come play for Ohio State or Texas a Yes. But you can get a group of boosters together to form a, what people are calling collectives. They pool a bunch of money and the coach can say, hey, if you come to our school, here's $50,000 a year worth of NIL money. Here's $100,000 a year worth of NIL money in air quotes. And the student athletes, usually this means, you know, appearances, autograph signings, social media posts. Like there's some things they have to do, but it's not like they're selling a product. They're doing hours behind a desk. It's it's basically pay for play. And, yeah. you know, when the last recruiting cycle ended, the 2022 class, like the rumblings were that Texas A&M was throwing around a ton of money. And I think me and you talked about it on our recruiting show in December or in, in February of like, that's kind of why a and getting these guys. Not the sole reason, yeah. but for these kids who are 18 years old, 17 years old, if they're being told, Hey, we're going to sign you. And every year you play for A&M, you're going to be on, you're going to be on a hundred thousand dollar retainer basically. Like that's hard to say no to, mm -hmm. you know? And so the gray area is these schools cannot broker deals. They're not allowed to. But you're sitting here being like, all right, so these businesses are reaching out to players from other teams or high school players and being like, hey, come to USC. We'll give you 25 grand a year in NIL money. Well, no, they're not. The coach is probably saying, hey, that guy over there, this kid, here's his phone number. Why don't you offer him some NIL money? Wink, wink. Mm -hmm. so that's what's happening. And it's, it's fundamentally changing the sport because when you combine that with the ability to transfer and not sit out, what I texted Lucas earlier today was it's essentially like if the NFL went away with contracts, went away with a salary cap, and just said, you can basically change teams whenever you want, you know, and you can basically say, hey, if, if a, a guy has a breakout first year at a smaller G5 school or a, or a middle tier power five school, and Georgia has a spot at his position, Georgia's like, hey, man, come here, man. Come play for Georgia. We'll, we'll pay you hundred grand a year in NIL money, and that's what you're going to see. And 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 I just want for the people that say, well, you know, good for the kids getting paid, hundred percent. But just know that the way you view college football is going to change. Like 
if you have a kid who's a, if you're at, you know, Lucas and I are fans of what I would call middle tier power five schools. Obviously our schools are in different <laughs> realms of, you know, right now, <laughs> but I don't know if we're not really blue bloods. So if, if Lucas has a great linebacker that has 115 tackles as a freshman, and he was under recruited, there's nothing stopping Penn state or Ohio state or Miami or anyone from saying, Hey, come play for us. We'll double whatever Wisconsin's paying. And I think that for college football fans, it's, it's just going to be tough. It's going to be tough when mm-hmm. you're not going to recognize your roster year to year. And I think that's a, that's, that's an issue that we're going to have to get used to. Well, and it's already with college football. You already, you're, you just built into it. You already have so much roster turnover already where guys are leaving after three or four years. And I, I completely agree with your point. I mean, we're already seeing it. Uh, I think one of the, with one of the teams we may talk about um, coming up uh, for our, our draft, you know, Texas, uh, they got a wide receiver, uh, I believe out of Wyoming. He was uh, a true freshman at Wyoming, uh, was their leading receiver from last year. And he basically was just like, yeah, I'm going, I'm just going to go back home and play at Texas and we'll probably be a starter for them this year. Um, so you're seeing guys, yeah, after one or two years and it does kind of ruin, I think, maybe one of the things that deep down in college football we love. And I think especially, you know, coming from programs where you have like your in-state kids um, who who give their all, they want to play for their state. They want to play for the school that they root up growing. I just think that's going to become much less of a priority for kids moving forward, where I think it's going to be, you know, Hey, I mean, they're paying, they're going to pay me, 200 grand more to go play for them. And the thing is, is I can't fault somebody for doing that where we live in a capitalist society, especially if you've never had that type of money and you're 17, 18 years old. Um, That's for me, but also these, these collective deals, we're also reading too, that they're completely exclusive to the player, whether or not they continue to play at that university. So you could have a guy who signs a four year, $800,000 NIL deal with these collectives, he could transfer out the next year, go to another school. And yet those collectives are out that money. So I know we've talked about it before. It seems like a lot of fun money going out right now. Will there be a market correction? Because there was never a market for this. So all of this, everybody's setting the bar for what the market value is for these players. Do you think there is a market correction maybe at some point where collectors are, or these boosters are just like, okay, we're not going to give maybe money until you've proven after a year or two years, like maybe more of an incentivized deal maybe. And then we'll give you that money just so, you know, we're not just throwing money into the wind basically. I think there's a lot of different things that are going to transpire over the next couple of years. I do think you'll start to see these collectives. If my if I'm a collective, let's say for Florida State, and I go four and eight this year, and I go seven and five the next year, I'm going to question why am I donating, you know, fifteen thousand dollars a year to this collective? If like why is the guy that you wanted me to help recruit not playing? Like one of one of the things that I, I think is is going to be the most interesting for me is what does this mean for your roster? Yeah. You know, what does this mean for? Do the guys that get paid the most, are they going to have an inside track to playing? You know, what if the lowly three-star, I mean, we see it all the time, right? The lowly three-star recruit gains 30 pounds in two years and becomes a star. He's making 5000 of NIL money, and the guy that he takes his job, the four-star, he is making $45,000 of NIL money. Yeah. I mean, what is it as a coach? What do you do? And what it's becoming, basically, is the NFL. Um. But I just don't know if college coaches are set up to manage that roster like that, you know. And, you know, Lucas, I think the point you brought up was super interesting was there's nothing binding these players to these schools because they can't. You, you can't yeah. sign a contract that says you need to stay at Texas A&M for four years or this contract is void. That's pay for play and that's illegal. You cannot sign a contract that says that. You can say I signed a, as a member of this collective and this collective is going to funnel money to me. But I can't say, oh, this collective – you know, is going to force me to stay at this school. It's, it's just not. So I think there are a couple different market corrections coming. I just don't know if the NCAA is going to step in and, and have any sort of 
I mean, regulation about this. Yeah. I mean, we bring up the Supreme Court case a ton. Like, I think the NCAA is terrified. And they're like, no, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to, you know, step on anyone's toes here. Let, let the kids do whatever the hell they want because um, we don't want to get shut down. Well, and it's great news this week that we found out that Mark Emmert is stepping down at the end of this year. So he really has no motive for doing anything, really. Um, I just think the NCAA's thing is, hey, whoever is going to pick up the tab, uh, whoever replaces Mark Emmer, this is going to be their issue moving forward. Who knows if even in three or four years, if we even have an NCAA, um, or if they just become a regulatory firm that is just basically running tournaments, writing rules for play, and doesn't even delve into the issue. It's it's just really, really interesting because um, I think you brought up a good point with like the roster management because a lot of these boosters that are in these collectives, they're the ones that a lot of the times are forking the money for these coaches' salaries, not just to pay them to play, but also to buy them out when they want to fire them. So if you have a big-time booster, in my opinion, that maybe forks a ton of money, maybe millions of dollars every year, either into these collectives or for endorsement deals for these players, and they see they're not playing, that booster's not getting their money back in this investment. Does that start to sour on the head coach that they helped to hire? And now is like, do we, I put money, is it a better investment for me to fire him so that someone else might play this guy that I'm paying right now? Yeah. That to me is, is kind of an interesting dynamic. You know, or like, hey, I, I you know, I'm, I'm going to give, $2,000 or, you know, $5,000 a month to the school, but instead of that money going towards facilities or whatever, student-athlete care, it's going to go to the collective. You know, I wonder, are universities going to see far fewer donations? You know, if if the collective is going to raise $5 million a year, well, that's $5 million that's probably not going to go to the school. What impact does that have, either on the student-athlete experience, facility building, whatever it is, stadium upgrades? The one thing I, 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 I want to push back on is, is the whole concept of the free market. Because it's, it's interesting to me how we, we just say, well, like, you know, it's a free market. Like, let the kids get what they want. And yet, I'm watching the NFL draft, and I'm going, that's not a free market. Aiden Hutchinson doesn't get to pick the highest bidder for what, yeah. school, for what team he's going to choose, right? I mean, isn't it a free market? We would just let the college players, like, let the teams buy the college players in any sport. You know, basketball, same thing. You know, last time I checked, like, rookies, you know, I mean, Anthony Edwards, I'm watching him star for the Timberwolves. He signed a contract that's probably far under market because the NBA told him he had to. Mm -hmm. So I don't hear the under market stuff for the NFL because there are policies and rules in place to better the sport because the sport would not be as enjoyable if the bigger market teams, like kind of baseball, got the best players and the smaller market teams were we're priced out and guess what like and i i get it parody isn't great in college football but if you thought it wasn't good now like i don't expect it to get better now you know mm. now you know you could see schools start to funnel a lot of money like what a&m's doing and maybe they rise up a little bit or tennessee and their eight million dollar quarterback allegedly <laughs> um you know but i i think at some point there will be a market correction but I just wonder when does that come and like, what does that look like? And I almost think the easier thing to do is say, Hey, listen, the one-time transfer thing is done. Like we're not going to let this, this isn't free agency. You can't just go anywhere. If you have a valid reason, you're going to have to have a waiver to the NCAA. You can transfer one time. You got to sit out or you graduate. Um, Cause I don't know how you stop this NIL stuff when it, none of it's even close to being regulated in the first place. No. Um, no, I think that's, I think that's a good point. Um, cause I, I initially really liked and still relatively like that, that you don't have to sit out a year to transfer largely because I think it's BS that players had to sit out a year to be, um, basically ready to handle the academic rigors or whatever, which is just complete BS. But yeah, coaches can leave anytime they want for a better a deal. And that, that's the counter argument you're going to get is like, well, I mean, coaches do this all the time. Um, you know, nothing, nothing but, is holding but, them You know, back. coaches can also be fired at any time. 
they're just going to have their livelihood taken away at any time. Whereas I believe you, if, as long as you, I mean, I don't think they can take away scholarships. They cannot. I mean, they can encourage you to transfer because, hey, you, you'll play more if you transfer. But last time I checked, they can't take away the scholarship. If a player wants to ride the bench for four years and take up a scholarship, that's boom. He signed an national letter of intent. You know, so I push back on that a little bit, too. That that just reminds me of when the Kerm Edwards was first hired as head coach at, at ASU. He, like, made a statement during, like, training camp that, like, hey, if some guys don't get their acts together, we may have to cut some scholarships. People were like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you can't do that, Herb. No idea. Um, but, uh, um, but I also think the, the other direction of this is how some of the schools are just kind of handling NIL. I think we've obviously seen and talked about mostly the aggressive end of NIL with the Texas A&M, with USC, who I assume we're going to be talking about more towards the end of the podcast, where it just seems like they're just throwing money everywhere to get these players. And then you have other programs, like specifically, I know Notre Dame, which I read an article in The Athletic this past week, Brady Quinn, they're starting a collective. However, they're not trying to be like these other big programs where they just want to throw money into this. To them, NIL should be something that embodies more of the school, where I think in their collective, you have to do like charity work or you're doing autograph signings for... Um, like community service and things like this that would be able to pay a player. And I think that was interesting. I read an article this past week, uh, Wisconsin, my alma mater was basically saying that right now there are no collectives. They're open to it. However, they basically are trying to ride that moral high ground of they want to embrace NIL, but they also don't want to lose kind of what makes college sports great. They don't want it to become just another professional avenue. So I'm curious. Uh, we already know where some of these other programs, but I am curious with these other schools that are trying to shape NIL into something different to kind of keep college sports, kind of the, the spirit of it alive. I'm just wondering if, if what they're doing is right or if it's just like it, they're just going to be left in the dust in years ahead and are just going to have to adapt. Yeah. I think a lot of schools – have just been left in the dust in general. Like I've made the analogy on this podcast before about like the fact that Georgia and Indiana play the same sport to me is like ridiculous, right? Like <laughs> the resources afforded to Georgia and the resources to Indiana or Purdue or Oregon state, it's a whole different ball game. It's like the Yankees playing with like a double A team. Yeah. Right. So I don't know, like if you look up, if the sport's going to change a ton on Saturdays, like I think you'll see a lot of the same teams in the top 25, but I, I, I think a couple of groups that are going to really kind of get, I don't want to say phased out, but like the, the two things that come to my mind are college football recruiting sites and high school players. Because if you think about it, I mean, why am I going to follow recruiting if 80% of my recruiting class is going to be gone in two years, or I get half my recruiting class from the college ranks, right? And if your high school players like, it's already being shown. Schools are taking fewer high school players. Instead mm-hmm. of taking 22, 23, 24 high school kids, they're going to take 15, 16, and they're going to take 10 transfers. Now, you might say, well, that's only whatever, 10 kids. But if, if every Power 5 school takes that's 10 fewer kids, that's 650-plus kids. And it just it trickles down. And that's a bummer. I mean, I, to me, you're already seeing it happen. I think you're seeing fewer commits at this time. Because schools are waiting to see what do the collectives look like? What does NIL look like in six months? Um, so it has these, it has this impact in, in different ways on, on, on different, um, different aspects of college football. And I, I just think as a coach, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. In a perfect world to me, and I know I'm being a bit scatterbrained here, but in, in, in a perfect world for me, you would do like what Oklahoma does, where every scholarship player on your team gets $50,000 from the collective as like a salary in air quotes for NIL. And then you want more than that, go out and earn it. Go out and get your deals. Go out and hire an agent. Go out and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think that's perfectly fair. But I think the frustration is, I mean, you're going to see a lot of late recruiting flips. I mean, look at Deion Sanders and, and Florida State. I mean, they are uh, uh, Jackson State. State. I mean, taking Travis Hunter from Florida State, 
you think Travis Hunter is going to be there for more than two years? No. I would be willing to bet Travis Hunter got whatever he got, seven figures from Barstool, the documentary, like whatever it was. He'll be there for a year, and then he'll transfer to Georgia or USC or wherever, get more money. You know, I mean, look at Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers graduated high school early because he was going to earn seven figures in NIL money from like a card signing sponsor or something, card company. Goes to Ohio State, red shirts, throws two passes, then transfers to Texas where he committed originally. If I'm Ryan Day, I'd be livid. Yeah. I'd be like, we changed our 2022 recruiting class for you. We took you early. We potentially messed up our um, chemistry in our quarterback room. And then you're going to leave after six months? Months, yeah. Because you have to sit behind Bryce Young, not Bryce Young, uh, CJ Stroud? The quarterback will, The quarterbacks will be the most interesting one. The money that will be thrown around for five-star quarterbacks are going to be insane and i don't know i could get really down into the weeds of like think of all the power that these recruiting sites have if you rank a kid a five star oh, yeah. millions of dollars potentially really you know i mean if you <laughs> i mean that's i mean think of the monetary difference between being rated a four star and a three star it's it's almost a difference between being a first like an early first round pick and like a second round pick yeah. Like, it's millions of dollars if you don't get that one extra little mark. You know, so I uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, the games on Saturday are still going to be the games on Saturday, right? Waking up at, at you know, for me, 7 a.m., watching game day and then spending 12 hours on the couch, like, that's never going to change, but... <laughs> I think what's happening with Jordan Addison and Pitt, and and it was basically reported before we recorded the pod this evening, that he is in in potentially going to transfer from Pitt. Addison, the Bolitnikoff winner for the best receiver in the country, likely going to USC. Now, Jordan Addison has not entered his name in the transfer portal. So te- technically, another school reaching out to him is tampering. Um, but who's enforcing that? What rule is no. that? Nobody. You know, what's stopping Lincoln Riley from messaging every top receiver in the country and saying, we have four spots left, we have half a million dollars for each of you in NIL money, whoever wants the spots, come and play with Caleb Williams. And if I'm if I'm Jordan Addison and I'm like, and get paid a lot more than I would, I, I would have pit, I'll play with Caleb Williams, who might be the number one pick in the draft two years from now, and I get to live in Southern California and play in a great offense. Why not? So that's why I say, like, if you're a school like a middle-tier Power 5 school and, and you have a, a really young player that's under-recruited that blows up that you developed and you scouted, like, it's going to be hard to keep him. You better hope your culture's good or you have I, – I don't know, man. It's going to be hard to keep him. Yeah. I mean, we already see this um, kind of in college ba- – I mean, we've seen this in college basketball now for a while. Not necessarily from the Power 5 level, but, I mean, we see – you see mid-major guys transfer all the time now, especially with – uh, that they don't have to sit out a year. You see guys transferring as freshmen, sophomores, juniors after they have one big year to try to play, you know, high major college basketball, which I can't really blame them. That's what you grow up dreaming to do. And you, you know, you, you work your, your butt off and now you're like, I can play. I have options now. And now we're seeing that at the college football level. But instead of it being like guys transferring from the Mac or the Sun Belt. We're seeing it within Power Five conferences because, like yeah. you mentioned, the tiers are the gaps between some of these programs just in the Power Five are so big that it, it it's an immensely better situation to be in USC than it is to play at Pitt, which who just won the ACC. Yes, this isn't uh, like this past year. You know, like Georgia Tech's best running back, Jamar Gibbs, transferred to Alabama. I understand that, right? You're a three and nine team. Go to Alabama for your last year. I understand all the players leaving the ASU football program. You're going to be abysmal next year. Go, um, especially if you're an upperclassman, go enjoy somewhere else, whatever. You know, I mean, and they got Kadon Slovis, Pitt did. Like, yeah. so, but different different student-athletes are going to have different motives for leaving. Maybe it's being closer to home. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's better offense, whatever. And with the transfer portal and with NIL, it's easier than ever now. And it's just going to be where you don't really know. It's kind of like college basketball. I mean, think of how many high-profile coaches we've seen leave the sport of college basketball. Yeah. 
Jay Wright retired abruptly. Mike Krzyzewski retired unabruptly. You know, Roy Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of these people, it's been reported that they just, they don't, they don't like the way college basketball is going with the transfers. And they're like, this is, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to re-recruit my roster every single offseason. And you had to do that in basketball the last few years. And now you're having to do that in college football. You have to re-recruit your roster every single year. And that's going to be really hard. I would not surprise me to see Nick Saban leave college football, even though he's dominated the sport. Would not surprise me if Nick if Nick Saban leaves after a couple of years, right? Or yeah, you know maybe it's Ryan Day. I wouldn't be surprised if more coaches go to the NFL. I mean, if you're Matt Campbell, why do you want to stay in college? And I get you like developing guys and turning boys to men and whatever. Yeah. Like, what what are you doing, man? If Brees Hall was played three years ago, he wouldn't be at all. He wouldn't transfer to Ohio State. He'd go to Ohio State. Yeah, you know. Ohio, Iowa State is that prime kind of mid-tier Power 5 program where if you develop guys now, they're probably leaving if they still have one or two years of eligibility left. And, no, I, I get that. And, I mean, Nick Saban has alluded to NIL already. He said, it, basically, we're turning into professional sports. People are just going the highest bidder, which – Normally, when he complains about something, it's not a complaint. It's just him kind of threatening. Well, if this is how it's going to be, we're going to be the best at it. Um, but no, I, I agree. It's an ever-changing landscape. It's just so crazy because this ruling is not even a year old. And it has just completely changed the entire college landscape. I mean, I'm looking at USC's. They took 14 transfers this year. That even seems low for what I just like. And some of these guys, like Travis Dye was a starter at Oregon last year. Bryson Shaw was a starter at Ohio State last year. Caleb Wilson was a starter at Oklahoma last year. It is, I mean, it is just, it's just crazy. Marty Williams, wide receiver, played a lot at Oklahoma last year. Like, like you mentioned, like this is USC, a top tier program. We used to look down on programs that took a lot of transfers because that normal that was usually like teams like Kansas and teams that were so bad that or uh, head coaches would take a lot of transfers if they knew their job was in jeopardy and they need, just needed to like patch holes. And now we're seeing well established coaches at well established programs that have good job security. Like you mentioned, I thought that was a great point basically lowering the recruiting classes just so that they can take more transfers. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I don't know if the NCAA, like I said, I don't think the NCAA is going to do anything, especially with Mark Emmert stepping down next year. Uh, maybe they get somebody with some new blood that can put, maybe it's, Hey, if you're talking to a player that is still currently under scholarship, not in the transfer portal, if you get caught with tampering, you lose five scholarships for next year. Maybe that's something that they talk about. They have to do something on that because that was the fear I know a lot of head coaches had with getting rid of the, the sit-out year if you transfer. They said it's just going to be tampering and free agency all year long. And we've seen that is kind of the case. It wasn't just like cautious coach speak. So there has to be something or – Maybe the way we're going, maybe all these power conferences split from the NCAA and they form their own thing where they have new forms of regulation because it is the wild, wild west. And I, I don't see it taming, at least in the next couple of years. 100% no, man. And and I think at least for the, for the rest of 2022 and 2023, it will be like this. Yeah. We'll see if these collectives start to you know, get antsy about results. Um, we'll see if coaches start getting antsy. I, I don't know. If you're Pat Narduzzi, you had your best, I mean, I would be livid. Yeah. You know, I mean, Herm Everage is different because the program's just in complete shambles and anyone who's good should, should leave, to be honest. But, you know, healthy programs losing good players, it's, it's just, it's tough, man. It sucks. Yeah. It's not good for the sport either. No, like it's it, not. it, it is like, not. I, I, I don't, I mean, it's, it's for you and I that follow college football pretty like religiously, like this is a big deal. And I know people are like, well, you know, let the kids get paid and it's, it's great, but it's, it's just, it's changing the sport. I don't think it's, it's great. Um, you'll be interested to, I'm just interested also to see like, 
I mean, are there legal challenges if kids want to transfer or is money not, money suddenly goes missing? Like, who knows? This is the Wild West. Like, we don't, we haven't seen these contracts paid out in full yet. You know, what if a kid wants to leave for the draft? What if a kid, you know, can this, can this money get taken away? I mean, what if, what if the kid's just not good? Like, what if he's a three-year player, he can't get on the field? You know, like, that happens all the time. Does that money stay for three or four years? A kid's just going to make two hundred grand, you know. So it, it's a be it'll be fascinating. Any last thoughts for you on the portal before we move on to our draft? Uh, no, I think we kind of went over everything. I just, I mean, we are we've already seen. I don't even know the number of football portals, but you know, I think it's making it the transfer portal to me the the biggest issue I have with it is the amount of players, I think it's only like 50% of these players that leave actually get a scholarship at the program that they go to. It's it's not a super high rate, or they, they move down a level. So to me, with NIL being this big incentive now to transfer, I mean, we're just going to, obviously we're already seeing the number go up. College basketball, I think, has 1,300 players that were on scholarship that are now currently in the transfer portal. Um, I just worry for that sake. I, I wish there was more education for these players that what they're doing is making the right decision. Um, Cause I also don't think some of these players have great uh, maybe supporting cast behind them who are kind of looking for their own selfish reasons and stuff like that too. Yeah. That to me was worrying. Just to close this out a tweet and something that you'll hear a lot of over the next couple of years. A tweet from Jonathan Gavoni of Draft Express. Miami's Isaiah Wong, basketball player, will enter the NCAA transfer portal tomorrow if his NIL compensation isn't increased, his agent, Adam Pappas, told ESPN. Quote, Isaiah would like his NIL to reflect that he was a leader of an Elite 18. So, get ready, man. Get ready for the wild west. I, I, All right, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I did love um, when that news was first starting to come out today, like the, the head booster who was paying those NIL deals apparently said he will not renegotiate um, any NIL deals that he made. It's just, of all places, especially Miami, we thought they would probably benefit the most out of NIL. And yeah. uh, <laughs> like the big, this... This one's interesting to me, but uh, but yeah, it'll be something we continue to monitor. This won't be obviously the last time that we have a long-term discussion on nope. NIL. So, um, all right, let's move on here. We are going to do a another off-season draft. Lucas and I drafted coaches on the hot seat a few episodes back, and this draft we're going to do is college football teams and programs and Lucas I will give you the first pick just so you know ahead of time because I got the first pick for the hot seat coaches draft but we are doing a draft of the college football programs to make their first college football playoff appearance so here are the teams that are not eligible to be picked Alabama has made it seven times Clemson has made it Clemson's made it six times Ohio State's made it four times Oklahoma's made it four times Georgia's made it twice. Notre Dame's made it twice. LSU, Oregon, Florida State, Michigan State, Washington, Cincinnati, and Michigan all have made it once. So again, the schools are not eligible to be picked. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, Notre Dame, LSU, Oregon, Florida State, Michigan State, Washington, Cincy, and Michigan. So basically what we're looking for is who is going to make their like, – who is the next team to break through? Who are the programs that have been right on the cusp that are going to break through and make their first college football playoff appearance? Lucas, I'm going to keep track of this here so you can make the first pick. All right. So mine, not probably a big shocker. I think they're going to be a big uh, playoff pick this year, and that is going to be Texas A&M. So – Pretty much for, for the biggest reason we we talked about them in our previous discussion, they had maybe the best recruiting class in the history of recruiting rankings. I think they had like eight or nine five-star guys that went to their team. Um, 
They're getting uh, a transfer. You know, Zach Calzada did transfer out their starter from last year, but they are bringing in Max Johnson. And, you know, this seems to be a program that is heading in the right direction, as much as that pains to tell me. I usually cannot stand the dialogue towards Texas A&M. They did finish 8-4 and four last year. However, they, they did beat Bama during the, the regular season. And they've, they've got talent all over the side of the ball. Now, Bama, it, I think they're going to be clearly the second-best team if you're doing preseason rankings in the SEC West. But I think they have a shot to potentially uh, to beat Bama. I think they, they're probably – they might be the most second-most talented team in the SEC, potentially, with all the guys that Georgia lost. But um, so I'm going to go with Texas A&M um, as uh, I think. But like I said, I think a lot of people are going to be picking them. They've been a sleeper pick for the college football playoff, I feel like, for the last six or seven years. Um, but I'm going to go with them. It's a good pick. Yeah, I think it's the clear cut number one pick. Um, I think when the recruiting class was was fully signed, I saw something that either every team that have a number one recruiting class has won a national championship within that class's lifetime. Now, half of those are Alabama, but Georgia also, uh, LSU probably. So the, the 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 chances are better than not that A&M will make a, 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 a CFB or Jimbo's fired. <laughs> like, one of those. So, although Jimbo just did, did just get a brand new 10-year deal, so. <laughs> what is his What is his buyout? That's like ninety million. I think I don't. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. All right, my first pick. I'm gonna pick uh, a school that we have talked about before. Here, I'm gonna pick USC. I mean, I, I think it's the it's the easiest Power Five conference at, at this point. I mean, Utah is gonna be a good team this year. And again, this isn't for just this isn't just for this year. They look like they are gearing up to be an absolute powerhouse with Caleb Williams at QB the next two years. They have a five star quarterback in, in 23 signed. You have Lincoln Riley and all of the offensive talent he's produced. You have Southern California, the city, uh, the NIL money, the presumably weak conference, assuming no realignment changes that. Um, I think USC is poised in the next three to four years to return to promise. And I think, they, to me, they're the favorite this year in, in the Pac-12. Will I do, will, do I think they'll go undefeated? No. Could I see them finishing 10-2? and two? and like eight and one in the conference and winning the Pac-12 and winning the Rose Bowl and being like a preseason top four team next year. Absolutely. So USC is my, my first pick. I I would have gone A&M had they have been there, but I'm going to go, um, I'm going to go USC. So. Yeah, I would, I, I think those would have been the top two picks in just about any pool. Um, just the attention surrounding those two programs, specifically USC with, Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams coming over now from Oklahoma. Um, no, they're going to be fun to watch. And I think it's good. And you might hate this just being a, an Arizona state fan and have to play USC every year, but USC being good is I think good for the sport. We need more Don't attention lie. out West. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I just think, um, I mean, I think it's been uh, – I think Oregon was the last team uh, west of the Mississippi to make a college football – or no, Washington, I think, was the last team west of the Mississippi to make a college football playoff. So um, just having that whole side of the country back involved, I think, is, is good for the sport. And having a historical program like that is also good. Yeah. My third pick – so I'm actually going to stay in the same state. Oh. And I am actually going to go with the Texas Longhorns, which gotcha. may seem surprising just because um, Texas Tech was going to be my, my – I was riding between them and <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, uh, well, um, at first when you said stay in the same state, I thought you meant as USC. I was like, is he going to pick Stanford? Or oh, no, no, no. I meant, I meant on my side. <laughs> I meant on my side. I was going to go with uh, Fresno State, of course. Um, but uh, – no, I'm going to stay with Texas. I think last year, obviously, was way below expectations, I think, what a lot of people had from Sark, especially you fired Tom Herman, who went 7-3 and three the year before, won a bowl game, um, had previously won a Sugar Bowl. And, I, you know, and they started off the year, what was it, 4-1? and one? 
and then they finish off. They they lose. They blow a twenty plus point lead to Oklahoma. Their season kind of falls apart. They lose to Kansas. Um, their first ever loss to them in Austin, a team that only won two games all year. But I just I just think this team is very very talented. I mean, you have uh, the top five a top five recruiting class coming in according to the twenty four seven composite. Uh, you have Bijan Robinson, maybe one of the best running backs in the country, uh, lining up back there. You maybe have the most hyped up quarterback prospects in Trevor Lawrence and Quinn Ewers. I believe Quinn Ewers is the highest rated quarterback out of high school in, you know, 24 seven, some of those rankings history. And I mentioned too, you also bring in, you know, a slew of transfers. I mentioned earlier in the pod, uh, Isaiah Nayar. Um, who, as a true fre- as a freshman at Wyoming, had over 800 receiving yards. You get him to transfer in. They're going to have weapons, and I just think last year, I think you could potentially mark it up as Sarkeesian just had to get maybe some of the bad apples, people that weren't on board with the program, just had to leave. It was just kind of a get-through year. You knew they weren't going to win a national title. Obviously, you think you'd finish better than 5-7. and seven. And I just think with, with Oklahoma in transition, with the new head coach, we don't know what they're going to look like on offense, um, especially with them losing Caleb Williams. The, the Big 12 is always usually wide open. And with Oklahoma, who's been the steward of that conference for a year, in transition, Texas, I think, is the, only, is the team that can rival with them with – talent-wise, in that conference. So it wouldn't shock me. They have an easier path, kind of like USC has in the Pac-12. They're going to be the most talented team. And, you know, if they're able to rattle off some wins, I mean, they got Alabama on the schedule, which that is probably a for-sure loss. Um, But outside of that, your next toughest game is Oklahoma, which is a neutral site and a team you almost beat a year ago with everything, all things considered. So that's why I I am taking Texas as potential dark horse to make their first college football playoff. I, I do think that the, the, these first three in some order was the top tier of this list, right? All prominent programs. I guess A&M not as much prominent, but like USC and Texas, like everything that you want to be successful, that you need to be successful in college football is there. Great recruiting base, resources, money, uh easy-ish schedules compared to some SEC and Big Ten schedules. So I think these first three were were slam dunks. Texas was going to be my next pick as well. So the board kind of, of, of levels out here a little bit for me. But I was down to two, and I was trying to decide as you were talking, Lucas. I'm going to go with Miami um, for a lot of similar reasons as Texas and USC were selected. Great, fertile recruiting base. A lot of seemingly NIL money. A new coaching staff that is going to hit the recruiting trail hard and that is going to be given a bevy of resources to use at their disposal. And a pretty weak and an easier path to the college football playoff. You're in the ACC Coastal with North Carolina, Virginia Tech, Virginia. That division's been, you know, a revolving door the last handful of years, right? Pitt won it last year, won the ACC. So I think there is an easier path to the ACC title game, and then it's just about getting through Clemson, basically. So I will bank on Miami in the next four to five years and Mario turning that thing around and getting that ship righted. Now, there are some issues there. They don't have an on-campus stadium. The fan support's kind of hitting there, you know, hit and miss. But I just think getting high-profile athletes to go play in Miami is not going to be hard. So. I'm going to go with Miami for my second round pick. It's not hard to sell Miami when they're good. It's, you know, it's, it's Florida. Miami's sexy. It's brash. It's, it's cocky. I mean, when that program gets rolling, it, it might be the best concentrated area of talent in the entire country um, in South Florida. So that was actually going to be my next pick if you didn't take them as well. And I think just if, if Cristobal can channel, I mean, he's a, a fantastic recruiter. And I think just that alone um, is going to get Miami back to being that. Um, so my next thing, I'm actually surprisingly going to be taking another Pac-12 team. 
and I am going to be taking the Utes Arizona. at Utah. The <laughs> never mind. Maybe in like five years, when the the sanctions <laughs> and their rebuilt roster is uh, is all better. But um, I'm actually be taking the defending Pac-12 champs um, out of Utah, mainly because. Utah's team last year did not start well. I think they started off like two and two or one and three, had losses to BYU, San Diego State, beginning part of the year. Um, they come back. We're one of the best playing teams in the entire country at the end of last season. Um, they obviously crushed Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. They have a, a close game against Ohio State, uh, you know, high scoring, forty-eight to forty-five. Um, but mainly because, one, I trust Kyle Whittingham. They've been close before. Remember, what was that, a few years ago? They would have won the Pac-12. They probably would have been in the college football championship they lost to game. Yeah, they lost to Oregon. Um, and so they've been close. I think this I think this is probably the year um, before USC really turns it on that there's probably a wide-open window still to win the Pac-12. Um, they do have to play Florida at the beginning of the year, but Florida's going to be transitioning. They have a new head coach. Um, they get USC at home uh, that uh, this year as well. Um, as you know, Salt Lake is a very difficult place to play. Um, but, I, I mean, I like their team, especially with Cameron Rising. That team took a different le- went to a different tier when he took over for Charlie Brewer at the beginning part of that season. Um, and they were kind of able to ride the ship. So I like Utah. Uh, I, I have kind of a soft spot for Utah. I feel like they're kind of like the Wisconsin or Iowa of the Pac-12. They kind of just do their own thing, but they routinely just develop really good players, um, play good defense, and have a good enough offense to kind of win games. So I'm going to take Utah. It's interesting. Player. You know, Utah might have the best short-term chances of any team that we've picked. I mean, if you were to ask, like, of the five teams picked, who is going to be the best next year? It, it might be Utah. I mean, it's probably either Utah um, or USC. Um, A&M maybe. But, again, I, I like that pick because Utah could make it next year. I mean, I, I would be a little surprised, but there is a path to a one-loss regular season and a win over Oregon or Washington or somebody in the Pac-12 yeah. game. So my third-round pick, I, I was going to wait to take this team, but I don't think it's going to get back to me. I'm taking Wisconsin. I'm taking the Badgers <laughs> um, for a couple of reasons. One, they've been close several times, right? I mean, a lot of Big Ten West championships. And if you can get to your conference championship and win, I, I feel like if you win the Big Ten, you have a good chance to make the playoffs, yes. right? Wisconsin does schedule somewhat aggressively in the non-con. They played Notre Dame last year. They played LSU before. I don't know exactly what's on the horizon. I'm sure Lucas can tell me, but um you're in the easier side of the Big Ten, and I think of the Big Ten West. You're in. You're, you've been the best program in the Big Ten West the last decade plus, however long. Mm-hmm. So I think if you can get to the Big Ten title game four times in the next five or six years, like you put yourself in a good spot to catch lightning in a bottle, a la Oklahoma State this year, which came one yard short of making the playoff, or Cincinnati that went undefeated, won the American Athletic Conference. So. Wisconsin, I, I almost positive I saw a graphic of the most wins to not make a college football playoff. I think Wisconsin has the most yeah, most wins of any program to not right. make a college football playoff. Sorry, Lucas. So <laughs> that is my take. I think just like Utah, just a stable, really good program that plays in kind of the right division slash conference to get there. The Big Ten, the second best conference in football. If you can win it with one loss. You're going to make the college football playoff. So Wisconsin's my third round pick. And, and you mentioned, uh, you know, scheduling, having the non-con. So this year they do kind of catch a break. This year, next year, they got uh, Wazoo is their non-conference game. But in 2024, they have Alabama in back-to-back years. Ooh. So they play, So uh, which I'm excited about. I'm still a season ticket holder. So uh, they play Bama at Camp Randall in uh, 2024. And then we go down to Tuscaloosa in 2025. Have so, you and Hannah booked your tickets already for Tuscaloosa? Yes. If I'm still, I mean, even if, <laughs> if I'm even still, if, if I'm no, if I'm still living in Nashville, that's obviously going to be a trip. Tuscaloosa is like a two-hour drive from here. 
but even if I'm not, like we have, if we move back to Wisconsin or wherever, Phoenix. Uh, that's definitely <laughs> that's definitely gonna be a trip that we're uh, that we're doing. Um, but no, I appreciate. It. I mean, they've been close. I mean, 2017, they were a drive away from being in Ohio State in the Big Ten title game to go there. I think about it just about on a on a daily basis. <laughs> but um, but anyways, uh, as I brush back the tears, um, just kind of looking at my pick, I'm gonna go with a surprise. It's in the Southeastern Conference, another SEC West team, and that is actually gonna be the LSU Tigers. Ooh, LSU made it already. They're ineligible. They're ineligible, Lucas. LSU won an Addy. Yeah, I I forgot about that. You won an Addy. Forgot about that. I just was thinking of schools from last year, Jordy Bent. Okay, now I got to – because we're starting to stretch, I feel like, after these teams. Now it's like, oh, I got one. Penn State. Okay. Stay in the Big Ten. Um, And and largely for the same reasons. They've been really close. They've won a Big Ten title in the last – you know, outside of Michigan and Ohio State, they also won a Big Ten title back in 2016. And some could argue maybe they should have went to the college football playoff that year considering they beat Ohio State in that season. But, you know, the last two years have been a little rough for 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 Penn State. You know, obviously the COVID year, they started off, I think, what, 0-6, finished the year 4-6. and Last year, I think they finished 7-6, lost in the bowl game. But, you know, they – uh, they have, uh, you know, Mike Yurzich is in his second year as an offensive coordinator. Um, I think they'll be able to find, you know, James Franklin has always recruited well at Penn State. Um, they have the talent to match up with Ohio State and Michigan. They just haven't been able to get over that hump. But I think you can always almost pencil them in that usually at worst case, they're probably going to be the second or third best team in that division. Um, so, you know, I think this year, I believe they get um, Ohio State. So they get Ohio State at home. Uh, they get Michigan State at home. They do have to go on the road at Auburn and at Michigan. Um, and they also start off the year uh, against at on the road at Purdue, which I don't think is going to be an easy game either. But I do think they'll be, like I said, at worst case, they'll be the third most talented team. And um, with getting Ohio State at home, like you said, on that side of the bracket, you could be a one-loss team. Maybe in a really good year, you could potentially be a two-loss team, depending on who you're lost or two, and still make it in. Um, so I'm going to go with Penn State, even though I part of me feels like Penn State people are getting a little annoyed with James Franklin. I don't know if that team is fully bought in. Um, I think they might be waiting for Matt Rule to uh, – get fired at the end of this year with Carolina to hire him. But uh, yeah, so I'm going to go with Penn state. Roadie bomb. My, there. Just talk about yeah. administration. Maybe, maybe that's, that's Penn state all. Was, uh, Penn state was on my list. They were a team in the big 10. I was, I was, I was looking at. Um, it's weird how they are basically the, you know, the only big team in the big 10 East to not make the championship. So not make the yeah. playoffs. Michigan state, Michigan, Ohio state have all made it. And Penn State hasn't, despite, like you said, being close several times. Okay. Uh, I have two more picks. Lucas has one. I'll go somewhat quickly. I'm going to take Florida. Um, I think Billy Napier is really churning that program at a high level already with recruiting, with NIL. Like, if you look at what is propelling you into the future of college football, I think Billy Napier understands what it's going to take to win at a high level in the SEC. Former Saban assistant former Davos Sweeney assistant, a lot of success at the group five level with Louisiana. Um, I thought he was pretty picky with the job he took and he took Florida. They'd been there before. They won two national championships 15 ish years ago. Um, that's getting further and further away from the minds of, of the current crop of, you know, recruits. Um, but they still have those two crystal balls that they can display during recruiting visits. And they still have a lot of guys in the NFL. So, um, I'm going to go with Florida because, you know, not that I think the SEC East is going to get pretty darn good here in the next couple of years. Yeah. With Tennessee and Kentucky and, and, you know, Missouri has been recruiting pretty well. But I have faith in them to emerge as the biggest threat to Georgia, I think, at this point. But Tennessee's pretty close. So I'm going to go with uh, Florida in the fourth round. So just to review the board here before we go to round five. 
Lucas has Texas A&M, Texas, Utah, Penn State. I have USC, Miami, Wisconsin, and Florida. Lucas, with the fifth round, your fifth round selection, your last pick. Uh, so this one I had to think about. Um, I had two SEC, or not SEC, two ACC teams in the same state that I was uh, kind of battling over. And I'm actually going to go with the North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, this was a team, right. I think, on my last, list as well. On my list. I, I think this was a team last year was really disappointing, I think, for a lot of people. Came in with high hopes, with Sam Howell coming back. They did have to replace a lot of wide receivers, running backs, um, finished the year six and seven. But, I mean, this is a this feels like overall the, the program trajectory under Mac Brown has been going nothing but up. And last year, I mean, they had the 11th ranked recruiting class in the country. They've recruited really well underneath him. And I think maybe last year was just one of those years where we just expected them to make that jump maybe a year too soon. Um, I believe Max only in is this, what is fourth year, third year as their head coach. So, I like them, and it's also largely, uh, too, because we were talking about kind of Wisconsin and Utah, how on that they're probably on the more favorable side of that conference. They're in the Coastal, which has basically a different champ every single year, uh, Pitt being the reigning one. They do have to go past Miami, but, I mean, you look at that, they, they go on the road Miami, but they get Pitt at home. They're, they're non-con. They do have to play Notre Dame, but then the rest of it, which is at home, but then they get Florida A&M. I guess they go at Appalachian State and then at Georgia State. I don't know how they Georgia State was able to pull um, North Carolina go there to play a home game. There's some like AD but, that's been fired in like 2018. Being like, I got Georgia State on schedule. <laughs> that was like his parting gift. But, yeah. Um, I just think uh, they usually they're fun to watch on offense, which usually will keep you in just about any game in college football. Um, and at this point, you're kind of reaching. I think uh, North Carolina, if it's a good year, and also if they have to play a Clemson in the in the AC championship, we we also don't know what Clemson's going to look like this year with the new offense and new defensive coordinator. Um, I think the ACC Atlantic is almost just as much up for open as the ACC Coastal is. So. Um, I think North Carolina, I think they have the talent and they also have the stability with, you know, with Miami, they might be a year or two still away with Mario Cristobal still getting his guys in there. Or I think my, I think North Carolina is ready to take a step this year. Yeah. North Carolina was on my list. I mean, that's a team that typically the first kind of indication of this is an increase in the recruiting you know, rankings, like your recruiting class gets better. And North Carolina has done that. You got to win now. And last year was a golden opportunity with Sam Howell. And they kind of, you know, muffed it, honestly. Um, All right. My last pick, there's a couple teams. I'm going to go, I'm going to go a team that was really close last year. And, and, and I think has a good chance the next couple of years. And that's Oklahoma state. Mm. I think besides Oklahoma, they've been the most consistent team in the Big 12 the last eight, ten years. Yeah. Uh, consistently good program. Um, I don't know exactly what happens to the Big 12 when Texas leaves and Oklahoma leaves. I, I, I don't know. Do, do they retain their Power 5 status? Do they? Is it What's the prestige level? Do you win the Big 12? Do you get it? But Oklahoma State was basically a couple yards away from, I think, overtaking Cincinnati and winning and, and going to the to the playoff. Um, Mike Gundy, I think, has full autonomy there. I think they like him there. I don't think he's going anywhere. And I'm just going to bank on, like, kind of like what we said with Wisconsin and Utah. Like, you have enough good seasons, eventually something goes your way. And uh, so that's kind of why I picked uh, Oklahoma State. Here are so, just some honorable mentions here from on my list before we wrap up here. Um, I had I had Iowa, I had Baylor, I had Tennessee and Auburn as other potential picks for me. Um, I had I also had Iowa. Um, I had I had Baylor also. Um, and then I almost took NC State 
That was your other North Carolina. That team. was my other North Carolina team. Yes, largely it's, just because they've been close. They were really good last year. Yeah. Um. They finished second in that division. They beat Clemson. I believe Devin O'Leary comes back, so they have another starting quarterback. Uh, my only thing with NC State is like historically they've always been good. They have never like they're either going to go like seven and six or nine and four. There's like no, they're never terrible, but they they've never made that leap, and that's what scared me a little bit from picking them. Yeah, that program is is a little bit like Oklahoma State light. Like they've been consistently yeah. really good, but just they really haven't sniffed the ACC championship game. And of all the teams, like if you were to pick a team from North Carolina that's made the most recent ACC battle game, it's Wake Forest. I mean, that's crazy. So, all right, Lucas, another fun show tonight. Any final parting shots here? We're just about, we're just over an hour. Anything, uh, anything you'd like to leave us with? Yes, yes. Something I texted you this week. Um, We are less than four months away from uh, the first college football game, which will be Nebraska in Northwestern, kicking off in Ireland. Already taking the Already. We got two dynamic offenses in a, in a foreign continent of taking the under. It's going to be jet lagged as all hell. And, yeah, it's going to be uh, jet lagged. It's going to be, a, it's going to be, I'm granted it'll be like a 4 p.m. game in Ireland, but it'll be like a noon kickoff Eastern. Like, yeah. Oh, man. What a great <laughs> opportunity for the, what if the, the, the content, if Northwestern beats Nebraska, is well, just going to be absolutely and incredible. The, and the thing is, you know, if it's on Fox, Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt are going to be there at the game for a game that normally would be like an 11 a.m. Big Ten Network, like kickoff, or it's going to be ESPN with uh, Fowler and Herb Street probably calling it yeah. for what will be probably a, a 13 to 10 game, potentially at the end of it. Oh, man. That's great. All but right. Less than four months. We're almost there. We're getting there, man. I mean, pretty soon we're going to be. Ha- we'll uh, we'll have some preseason win totals to go over. Maybe we'll do some over unders, and we'll start doing some some preseason prediction stuff here as we kind of keep on our once a month schedule. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for tonight for another episode of Run It for Roses for Lucas Rodi and Ryan Lucas. Have a great night. Have a great day, and stay positive.